Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast so others can find it. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it hanging? Um, hanging all right, I guess. Uh, we're in the midst of in between the tale of two weddings. Um, in between two weddings at this moment, uh, we had... Uh, Jeffrey, who's been on the show before, uh, we had his wedding, as we talked about last week. Um, we had his wedding on uh, Saturday, rehearsal dinner on Friday. I'll let you go into that a little bit more. But I've also got a wedding this weekend. Uh, this one's Thursday, Friday, rehearsal dinner on Thursday, Friday, wedding. So I'm like, all right. Um, then we got a party, somebody's 50th birthday parties on Saturday. I'm just... Uh, it's the the life never stops coming right at you so um excited um just you know it's a lot of time where i should probably be doing like my yard or something but <laughs> i'm too busy doing other things so uh how are you doing tim very good still recovering from the weekend it was uh a lot of fun my youngest son jeff got married uh colton was there and some other friends had a great time. Colton Nolan, who's also been on the show, and another friend, Alec, did a great job hosting the event for us. They stepped in at the last second and emceed the event and DJed and uh, were overall party coordinators and did a great job. Uh, Friday night we had the... It wasn't really a rehearsal. They didn't do a rehearsal. They, they kind of did one, but it was more like mainly just... Getting set up on Friday night, the night before, and then when that was done, came over to our house and uh, had a nice night of food and beer and whiskey and cigars. So, a great time. Weddings are always really good. Uh, We've had three weddings with the kids, plus mine. They're always super stressful. You're always worried about um, what's going to happen. And generally, this one was a little more fly by the seat of the, my seat of the pants than I would like. <clears throat> Mainly because my son and his bride were living in Oklahoma and they were flying out here, so a lot of everything wasn't necessarily planned out or finished. So, but they always come together. I've never been to a disastrous wedding, and I always tell my I always told my kids. Don't overthink it. Don't overplan it because you're not going to remember most of the people who are there. You're going to have certain memories of it, but it's not really that big a deal. And it wasn't even disastrous. No, no, not at all. I was like, it, it ended up just being like a backyard party at the end. It was yeah. like we didn't, we were planning on running the dance floor and all that kind of things, but all the, it, because it was just so small, there was just very few people. And so we just all hung out and, Got to enjoy the time in the great, awesome backyard area that was provided for us. So it was, uh, it was great. And I, I don't think there was 
any serious problems. We got through all the wedding festivities, all the the normal stuff. We had speeches, we had dances, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it went pretty well. I didn't see any issues. I thought it went fairly smooth. So, I was, yeah. Yeah, it went well. Went great. But it's worth drinking and celebrating, so cheers to you. Uh, Tim, we're uh, drinking a couple of different beers tonight. First one, uh, uh, returning on the show, uh, we have the standard Lagunitas IPA. They've done some rebranding, so they're all in these. It's just so weird to see it in the red bottle now, um, or the red label on it. Uh, So we're just drinking the standard Lagunitas IPA to start the evening. We do have some Machine Head Brewing Company, which we talked about them last week. Uh, highly recommend for anybody that listens to us in this area to go check them out in Clovis. We have their West Coast IPA tonight, um, which we'll be going to, but Colton had water polo practice and it's now 82 degrees outside. <laughs> so uh, they got a little warm in the car since it was a two-hour practice, but then uh, we've got them cooling down right now and so they'll be ready to be poured uh for our second beer of the evening. The so. Tesla doesn't have a cooler in it. They need to work. I mean, that. I could have turned it on. Like I could have had it like 60 degrees in my car, but uh, I just was like, I don't need, like, I also need to get home, you know, and the electricity will just go out. The battery will completely die. So yeah, that's where we're at. So we'll be drinking that next. Any cleanups? I have a hot topic, Ooh, hot <clears throat> but topic. it's related to I have a cleanup on top of your hot topic. So. Okay. I have a hot topic. It comes from Mere Christianity. In book one, Lewis talks about, he gives the standard Christian argument that um, the reason why God created us he, the reason why God created man so that it can make decisions on its own is because um, if we were just automatons, that's not true love. And so we have to be able to make choice choices between good and evil. Correct? Yeah, that is his argument. If that is the case, and I'm not picking on Lewis. Again, this is the standard logical argument that is made throughout Christianity. If that's the case, then how is heaven the ideal where we all go and don't sin? I've already told you that I don't really believe in the whole like heaven hell schematic, so like Well can you give me there must be a, a rejoinder to that. I no, I think it, there is it, a re- it, it, I yeah, okay, so here all... I'll I'll talk into it. Okay. Um So again we're talking about heaven and in the context of the scriptures, which is all that we have. And so you're not, you may not like my answer, but it is the answer to that question is that again, what we are pursuing, right? When we have the idea of heaven, not the Christian or the, the, the cartoon or the traditional, whatever you want to call it, sense of what heaven is. So that when we think of heaven, you know, that, that place up in the clouds that we get to go for eternity where we live out the rest of our lives. That's not what we're talking. Well, that's what you are talking about. What I'm saying is that what scripture is talking about when they're talking about the kingdom of heaven is this place that we are building here. And so even then, if we still talk about this place that's in heaven in the clouds and all that kind of stuff, okay, 
still the idea is that it's not like our it's not that our spirit and our we all descent all of a sudden become it's not that we all of a sudden stop choosing god at that point right remember that's that idea of what is the difference between heaven and between hell um and hell is this place where you have chosen to deliberately put yourself away from god and choose to be away from his presence um and so in order enough to be in his presence you have to continually choose to remove yourself from sin right and that's something actually that we're going to be talking about this evening as we talk about the transformation of uh mankind but that's the idea is that uh yeah i think what a lot of people for a long time felt is that the second that we die and we go on to this place called heaven if you're thinking of it in that sense um you become a brainwashed being right it's now that's what happens that's not what happens or that's not what's suggested that happens. You still have to choose God every single day. But uh, again, this is a place that is without joy or without, without joy, um, without pain, without suffering. Um, and so it is your choice to accept it or not. Again, the choice still remains with you. Remember, the choice still remained even with his angels, right? Yeah. Like these are people that chose to walk away um, and God still let it happen. And the same thing can definitely happen to you. So that's what's hard is that when we get to the reason where people get this idea of this heaven and hell and this is what you're locked into is you get into the separation of the sheep and the goats. People are like, it's too late for you on both sides. Like these are the people that were here. These are the people that were not. And so now you're separated and these people suffer and these people are going to be good. And so that's, so people believe that that's the whole concept is now you're locked in and you're good. And so that's how it goes for the rest of eternity. Um, but that's not necessarily what God is getting at. And I, in my opinion, what I would say is that I don't think he wants us to be autonomous. It's not like when you die, if that's what we're talking about, um, you you all of a sudden become a brainwashed um, being um, and that kind of stuff. That's not what heaven is. He still wants you to choose him. Um, and, and I think that that's important. So that's the gap that I would say that it is, is that it never really talks about it being that way. Um, I think that we as Christians have read into it to believe that that's how heaven, that's what heaven is going to be like. Um, but like I said, heaven is supposed to be built here on this earth by us. And so therefore, if we are building heaven here, then that is something that we have to choose day in and day out and without us being brainwashed. Right. So, um, that's what my argument is, is that's the place that we are trying to build with, the, with, again, these broken vessels, which, again, we're going to talk about today, um, to where there's this transformation that happens, um, and little by little, um, we transform. And, I, I, again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves for this conversation, but I think that that was a good question. Well, I think, I think your answer, though, raises – that's why neither – you're more skeptical that there's heaven at all, but I'm certainly skeptical – I don't believe in any of I don't believe in any human imagination of what heaven is for sure because it's based on very vague 
it's it's either based on vague uh, or brief descriptions in the Old and New Testament. I also think that it's and or it's based on Revelation, which, as we've noted before, I think we've noted before, we noted in the last couple of weeks. If not, I will say it again. But I'll, you'll hear us say it all the time on the show. The show Revelation is not a book you should. <laughs> if you never read Revelation, that it's perfectly fine. The for the first couple hundred years of the church. Revelation was looked skeptical upon as a book anyone should even bother reading. Uh, some of the big, uh, I think it was Augustine or one of the other big, or, or St. Augustine was, ver- was basically said, you shouldn't even read that book. We're not even, nobody knows what it means. It's, it's too complicated. And so it does in that book have a description john's got this description about a kingdom of 10,000 years and uh god setting up his kingdom the city on a hill and it's living around it and it does also have a description about how people even after living within this uh heavenly kingdom on earth will still choose to reject god and they will be cast out to what's basically they, they use it, uh, one of the ancient countries' names for it, but it's basically, you know, where Canaan was. So, uh, but yeah, that always struck me as a bit of a, I think that's one of those things that gets us into trouble with non-believers, and it leads to them, or people who are skeptical, and it makes it very easy for them to say, your arguments don't hold up. Yeah, the hard part for me is, again, when we talk about, well, just, again, focusing on the heaven and hell bit, or the heaven part, I think that it's a very immature part of your faith, and if that's you, that's okay. Um, just I, what I would recognize it as is immaturity, um, and I think, and not that I'm, like, so mature that I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, grow up or anything like that. I'm just saying that hopefully as you develop your walk with Christ— um, what you begin to see is that it's not about where you go in the end. And we've talked about this several times on this podcast, that the hard part about heaven is that it is something that's very vague and something that we don't know anything about. Um, we can speculate all we want as to what happens with it. I, In my opinion, where I think that it comes from is a desire from people that want their lives to continue. I think that's what it comes from, is this idea of this isn't the end. Um, and so, and they are afraid of an end. And that's, and that's perfectly normal, just so we're clear. Well, For I think humans, it's perfectly normal. I think it's also, I think, it, I think it raises questions with God that he would just create these temporal creatures that then once they're done, he doesn't have any relationship with. If relationship is what we we say again we preach in the church that relationship is what he's wanting to have but we have a shelf life of you know not to uh, 120 years that's seems a little it doesn't seem to fit with the cold or with the loving it it seems a bit cold for the loving description we have i don't know but, but none of this bothers me I was going to just, you know, quote the whole bit about, like, you know, about, you know, life being beautiful because it's so short. 
Oh. Yeah, I mean, none of these questions... I'm raising these questions. They, they've never... Someone who's maybe skeptical or, or a skeptic or agnostic might find my belief on this uh, sophomoric, but none of these... I, I, I raise these questions in my head, but they don't at all have any weight on my faith. So... Yeah. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for me to to not believe anymore because any kind of belief system, even if it's not a belief system, has all kinds of questions that it that it can be raised. So right, they can't be answered. Well, and I think what's a good part of one of the chapters that Lewis writes today is that you can be a perfectly good Christian and not have to struggle with that information at all. Sure. Uh, and so, like, that's just one of those things when it comes to this is that your faith is not swinging on this um, this aspect of what comes after. Again, what I would say is focus on the things that you can control and the things that you need to get done. And that should be your mission. And that's why you need to be completely bought in. And, again, those are some of the things that we're going to be discussing this evening. So... Again, the afterlife. If you're with like that's that's a question that we can't even answer. There's so many possibilities of what could be out there and what people have assumed and what people speculate and those types of things of what happens in the afterlife after we die. And so, sure, we can we can have that conversation, which we have a couple of different times. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's right. Like when we talk about when we talk to other people and we say, you need to focus on what you can control and what you can control is the here and the now in your life that you've been given right now. And so go out there and do the best that you can every single day, choose him every single day um, and do your best. And so that's what I would say. So. All right. So on to cleanup. Yeah. Cleanup. This isn't like a huge cleanup. All that I wanted to say is that I think we didn't hit it hard enough in book two Lewis, if you're reading through, you'll see in book two that he pretty much was like, yup, that's it. Like, that is the faith, is that Christ died for the sins. You have to believe this, and that's it. That's it. That's all it is, is that Christ died for your sins. He resurrected, and you either have to take him as a complete lunatic. Yeah. Or you have to take him as a man. Like, there's none of this, like, whole bit where you sit there and say, um, you, you know. You can't be Gandhi and quote him font very fondly. Right, because Gandhi didn't say that he was God, right? No, like, he just, he quoted him warmly as if, he quoted him as warmly as any other Christian would, but he wouldn't acknowledge him as it being anything more than a Right, exactly. No, uh, but you have to take uh, Hebrew, one or the other because Hebrew as guru, because as much as he was a guru saying these messages of love or whatnot, but still claimed that he was God, you're sitting there like you're listening to a crazy man. Like you wouldn't listen to somebody who did that today. If anybody walked around today and said that they were God, but was still a nice person, you wouldn't listen to them. So why would you do that over somebody who did it 2000 years ago? who was still viewed just as crazily, just so we're clear. Yeah. You either believe what he's saying or you don't. You don't get to sit there and say, well, he had some good points. Well, if you want to do that, then don't get upset when someone quotes warmly from Mein Kampf. <laughs> yeah. Because he had some good points in the book. 
Right. But that's the point. Is like you have. Yeah, exactly. It. You either take him as a lunatic or you take him completely as he is. And believe it or not, that is Christianity where it's, it is still, but also what he says is that all of that stuff doesn't matter. And that's how we actually start today's book. So that's why I wanted to clear it up before is he sits there and says, this stuff doesn't matter. He's like, this is the faith. What I am spelling out for you right here is the faith, but Again, he's like, but this is what theology is. Right. This is what this is. And he has said it multiple times throughout the books that he goes through that he says, this is, we do not want a simple faith. This is not a child's faith. You should have an understanding of who God is. It's complicated. It gets messy. And you need to go through the mud and the trenches to understand where it is. And also, but what's so great is... um, is I was actually listening to the audiobook today. I've been reading through it, but uh, I was listening to the audiobook for a little bit because there's just something about it where it just something about having a British dude read it. Is it's just I was in the car and I just laughed because it's just like, golly, you just make it so simple. Right? Like the mere Christianity bit is such a great name because it's just everything that seems such a mess and so well, like, especially the further you get into the faith, you start drawing lines and you get tangled up in a lot of this mess all the time. And then just uh, why I think that this book is a good read like once a year is because it just, yeah, it just takes all that pressure off where you're just like, that's right. That's the important part. That's the important part. And that's what we're going to focus on. Tonight is, okay, so now that we know that Jesus Christ is Lord, we know that he is resurrected, we know that we believe him, we know that what he said was true. Okay, what are these other things that we need to know and what are the basics of those things that we need to know? And what is that mission and vision that we keep talking about on this show? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I just wanted to clean up is that, listen, Jesus Christ is still, again, what we talked about in the very beginning when we first started the show. Is he, had, he is at the dead center of our faith. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You don't believe his teachings. You don't believe that he is God. Then you believe that he's a lunatic and you're not a part of this faith. But we do. And so that's why we're going to continue this discussion today. So book four, what do we got, Tim? So uh, book four is what is titled what? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, what the whole book is called. Yeah, that's a good question. I was like... Beyond Personality, First Steps in the Doctrine of Trinity? Is that what it is? Yep, Beyond Personality or First Steps in the Doctrine of the Trinity. Again, this is where we're looking at doctrine, and he goes after doctrine right away. So the first chapter is titled Making and Begetting, which is an interesting kind of old-school word that he uses there. But basically, in this chapter, he's laying out what is theology and why is it important? Yes, Again, he kind of talks about theology is is understanding more about God, just working in to figure out who God is um, and what it is that we practice um, and taking more understanding of that. And especially as we get through all 11 chapters here, you begin to see why it's important to understand that so that way you have a clear, concise vision of what it is that you need to be doing. Um, And so he takes it all the way down to its basic form after that. So he's going to break it down chapter by chapter to guide us through 
um, kind of this doctrine of what it is that you need to believe. And again, here's the important part is that these, it, this is the essential doctrine. It's not the doctrine that you can think of where it's like, okay, um, we can't have instruments on our stage, right? <laughs> like that's not doctrine. There's that's no not what we're talking about. No dancing. That's not doctrine. That's not what we're talking about. So he calls it the science of God. Yes. And he basically lays it out as, so let's take it back to your mission, vision, framework. Mission, vision, work, framework. If you ever sat down with a group of people, laid out a mission, vision, part of the things you, t- we, you talk about in one of those sessions is you're, you're trying to create guardrails where you know where you're stepping in and out of what you're trying to achieve. And so that's what theology is trying to do. It's trying to make it clear uh, where the boundaries are of staying within the faith and outside of the faith and making sure you're not falling prey to bad ideas, bad practices, bad uh, anti-theology, if you will. So, and the first two that he, the first one that he brings up are the, some of the, to what you were talking about a few minutes ago, some of the lazy or flat out um, bad uh, heretical views of who Jesus was. And one of those, because the church did fall into this, there were there was a segment of the church that fell into this right away, which is, well, you know, he's a good dude. We're gonna we're gonna for some reason we're gonna follow this guy who never bothered to write down what his teachings were, but his friends did after he died, and and he's not really the son of God, and these magical things didn't happen, but it's a good framework for us to live our life. Right. And he, you know, he says, well, if that's the case, then why follow him? Maybe there's people who've got better ideas or newer ideas. Right, exactly. Which is usually what it is in humanity is, well, there's new, newer ideas. That was the whole framework, a big framework of the entire uh, secular movement in Europe. Uh, the French and German movements were, you know, Jesus, God's dead. We need to replace it with new ideas. Um, so, yeah. Um, from there, he goes into talking about what is uh, – he goes in to talk about humans and their place on this earth um, and, and, again, also talking about Christ. Um, and he's going to use this kind of term throughout the rest of this book um, where he says that humans are made and Jesus Christ is begotten. And what he's getting at is that when you are begot, um, and it's kind of an old term. He even recognizes it in the book. It's not a, really a term that we use anymore. Um, but when you beget something, it is a child of you, right? Like it is, uh, it, it's not something that you made. Like children aren't something that you actually make. Um, they are something that you beget, okay? So like uh, uh, it says that a beaver begets beaver children. Um, humans beget babies. Um, that is something that you do. But something that you make, it would be something like a sculpture, or it's something like uh, a machine of some sorts. And so we are made, even though we are in God's images, he brings out this idea that we are statues. Um, we are sculpted statues. Um, but Jesus is the living flesh. He is, he is God. He is begotten, unbegot. And this is the whole idea of Christianity, and it's best summed up on page 131. So he talks about, and if you're reading through this, he'll call it um, those that are associated with God that are the begot, 
the children, um, they are Zoe, Zoe, and then those that are made or are uh, but you uh, or are human are bios, um, and so he's going to make that distinction throughout there. But we are made uh, moving towards the begotten. Um, we are the bios that is actually going to be making moves towards becoming children of God, as it says in um, his last lines of the chapter are, and that is precisely what Christianity is about. The world is a great sculptor shop. We are the statues, and there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. And that's a huge concept um, that he's going to tackle throughout the next 10 chapters um, about what it means for us to really come to life. Um, so... He, the reason why he points this difference out is because he one of the he lays out he lays out the core tenets of the core theology of Christianity and that is that Jesus is the Son of God that he died for our sins but that also we're called to be sons of those of us who believe are also now sons of God so he's like oh wait now wait a minute we need to separate Jesus is called to be the Son of God but we're now called sons of God as well in Scripture. He lists a couple verses. Yeah. How can that be? And so he lays out, we've got to make sure we've got a very clear distinction. And if you're listening to this, we have proof that things can go off the rails when you don't understand this. Because ortho if you're listening to this and you're Mormon and you don't understand what I'm saying, Orthodox Mormonism says doesn't differentiate the two. It says we're sons of God. Just like Jesus was, and so therefore we're going to be Jesus's when we die too, and that's where you can go off the rails if you don't understand that difference. Yeah, and so I think that this is uh, something hugely and immensely powerful that he begins to unpack, um, and just understanding what our role is, and that that is something that we are moving towards is to being uh, like Christ. And again, he unpacks it, and it and it becomes more powerful as it builds throughout the chapter. Anything else on book one or chapter one? Well, yeah. The last thing he kind of leave, he leaves with, which what you're alluding to that he's building up to is, while we're here on Earth, we're just these, we're mainly just these biological creatures, but there's also, also this spiritual world, this world that we don't understand, this other dimensions, or however you want to describe it, that the Bible talks about. And so it's that world that we also, he's going to then break out into in further chapters. Yeah. Including the next chapter, chapter two, the three personal God. Uh, this chapter is a little tough. Um, he's really trying to explain to you how we can possibly grasp uh, the Trinity. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Trinity, the Trinity is the fact that we believe that God, uh, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are three people, same in one. Um, <laughs> this one is tough. The reason why it's tough is because we can't grasp it in those in that aspects um, because it doesn't make sense that three people are the same person um, because that, that just doesn't make sense. And so the way that he describes it to you is that we can't basically how he goes in to say it is that we can't grasp another dimension, right? Like we yeah. can't grasp, uh, he goes and explains the first dimension, the second dimension and the third dimension. And he says that really, it's really easy for us. The easiest way that we can grasp God is actually when he is Jesus. Jesus, we get. Right. Easy peasy. 
that's a person um, on this planet that we know. And even if you sit there and say he died and resurrected, like that's still really easy for us to grasp. So we are looking at him kind of in the first dimension. This is a straight line. It's something that we can see easily. But then he says that we have the second dimension, which would be uh, this Holy Spirit. Um, this whole kind of, you know, this is even something easier for, or not easier. Um, this is something slightly harder for us to grasp. But again, if you think of your conscious and all this kind of stuff, um, then you can kind of grasp onto that. And then the third dimension ultimately is God. Um, where God, and as we'll see when we get into the next chapter, is kind of somebody that is a lot more difficult to grasp. It's this overseeing, omnipresent, omnipowerful, omnipotent being that controls the universe. Um, and how are they, how are all three infinite, yet uh, there's a starting point for Jesus. Um, as far as his life here on earth, but yet he was infinite before that and infinite after that. Um, what does that look like? Um, and so as you begin to struggle, as you reach for understanding God in his infinity and understanding God in his trinity, it becomes, it almost seems like the further information that you get about it, the more confused you will get. Yeah. Um, and so he actually makes the point that there is no point <laughs> in trying to figure this out. He's like, you can, but you're only going to be met with more questions and it's not really going to make any sense, but it's something that is crucial to the crux of the faith. And again, he also makes the argument against, well, why can't it be simple? Why doesn't God make it easier for us? And he says, no, it's like, it can't be that way. We're, again, this isn't a child's faith. It's not about the simplicity. It's about the interest the intrinsic nature of it all and understanding what each part of God does for us, right? Understanding what the sacrifice of Jesus does, what the point of the Holy Spirit is, what the point of God who is all-knowing and all-omnipresent uh, does for us um, and having those three marks. And again, he kind of talks about that later when uh, somebody brings up the questions in the two, point, the two notes chapter, um, which we'll talk about later. But... Again, there's not really a point in you trying to grasp this. But what you need to know is that they do exist. And in order to be a part of the faith, you have to accept it. There's no like... And again, he'll do that a couple more times. Yeah, uh, Lewis will sit there and say, that's the nature. You're better off like asking why a rock isn't a tree. Right, like that's the nature of the rock. Like you don't go over to the rock and you sit there. What you're doing is you are putting philosophy on biology almost or chemistry, right? Like that doesn't make sense where you sit there and say, well, why are you a rock? That you wouldn't go ask a rock that. Right. right? Because you th believe, again, in God as being this, this thinking personal being, you believe that you can ask those questions the same way of uh, philosophy, but yet... God, believe it or not, operates in the same levels of rules and operations um, and that it, there are things within his nature that he operates with. So um, that is what I have on chapter two. Uh, what I found interesting on that is that he points out something I'd never thought of. I mean, I had one prior to, to this week reading the book, but prior to reading Mere Christianity, he points out that this whole three-person God thing is really 
it comes out of the church after Christ leaves, cobbling this together. This isn't yeah. something, anything that the Jewish faith talked about. And no. Jesus only, this all comes about because, as he describes it, he basically says, look, this guy comes, he says to be, claims to be God, and he can't be dismissed as a crackpot, as we've talked about, or a charlatan. Then he gets killed. He raises himself up from the dead somehow, appears to a couple hundred of his followers. And then right before he disappears again, says, I'm going to bring a version of God back to you to lead you when I'm gone. And then sure enough, on what we call, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity or the Bible, on the day of what's called Pentecost, this Holy Spirit arrives and leads becomes the kind of the guiding spirit for the church to then grow and you know communicate what it is is for us to be able to communicate to go between between us and god and jesus and he you know there's only six or seven verses in the new testament where jesus talks about this spirit that he's going to leave and so basically this is the church immediately right away uh with the early the people who write the early part of scripture are all trying to figure out and put together what this is the core of theology, which is this is what we're trying to, we've got to figure out what this whole Holy Spirit is. And so it's, this isn't non-biblical. It's just the church coming together and saying, there's apparently three versions of God. And <laughs> yeah, this is how we're, this is our best way to explain it. And to what Colton said, we might not have it all totally figured out. We probably don't. But it is fundamental as far as we have figured it out. For if you want to be a, be a believer in Jesus in Jesus and a Jesus follower, to understand that this is the case. It's not just Jesus is with this guy and he died and all that. It includes this idea of a Holy Spirit who's helping you, guide you through, avoid bad decisions, avoid avoid bad behaviors, be mindful uh, you know, of people who are... Uh, having a hard time and, you know, open to praying for them, all those things that make us a better Jesus follower. So I, I just thought that was interesting that if you're if you're someone particularly who grew up in the church, you just kind of take a lot of these things at face value and we, we just talk about them as if they're face value in the church. But he lays it down. I'm like, no, we, we had to like, we, not us, of course, but the church had to like sit down and, systemize this thing of how does this work yeah and so that's what we have and but he points out this isn't we're not inventing things no we are again taking what jesus said and we're taking also aspects of the old testament as well where there's some hints about things and we are doing our best to discover what god's true nature is yes all right, and I'm sorry if you guys hear papers moving. It's because Colton's reading from a book, and I'm reading from uh, notes, and so yeah. Okay, we're back, and we back. All right. So he wraps up chapter two with what I would say is the theology of how to live like a Christian. Uh, 
people, you know, before I get into that, yeah, let's do, uh, what are we, what specifically are we drinking as beer number two? Yeah, this is the Machine Head down on the upside. Um, it's pure dankness. Um, yeah, it's got a nice dank flavor to it. Uh, it's a West Coast IPA. Uh, I'm looking at a 6.3 ABV, so not too bad. Uh, made with Mosaic, Citra, and Simcoe hops. At Machine Head Brewing. The Machine Head apparently really likes... They fancy themselves on the dank side, so. And if you're not, if you're new to beer drinking, or you like IPAs, but you're still not really sure what that dank phrase is, I'm, I'm not sure technically what it is. I've never looked it up, but from what I understand, my view of dank always is kind of wet and musty, kind of, but it's always tasty. Well, I mean, I don't mind saying it on the show, but yes, the closer you are to dankness, the closer you are to uh, the weed taste um, <laughs> in your beer. So, like, again, um, uh, IPAs have always kind of operated on a triangle where you have the pine, you have the tropical, and you have the citrus. Um, but now it looks like IPAs have kind of been making themselves more into a nice little quad um, square where you have uh, kind of this dank flavor that's emerging um, and a profile that people are pursuing in their making of their beer. And it is kind of a nice little mixture of the pine um, where it kind of leans into kind of that pine flavor taste. But yeah, there is kind of that element of hemp. And so you may find one that says that it's a dank beer and it can straight up taste like weed. Uh, I've never indulged in the devil's lettuce myself, but... Um, I know what it smells like, and you you can taste it sometimes. And some of these beers, you're like, wow. This one tastes more like just really wet. It it tastes it tastes like the uh, forests in the south that are always just wet all the time. And if that's not appealing to you, I understand. But oh boy, it's tasty. I it's, think it's I think it's my favorite it's fa- flavor profile. It's tasty. Of it's all right. the IPAs. It's really good. And it, when it's done right, it's really really yeah. good. So. And they've done a really good job on that. Well done, you guys. Yeah, shout out Machine Head Brewing. Okay, so what does it look like? So what, what's he going into? So he he's, makes a clear look. We've got to be clean in order to be instruments of God. So, you know, you ask, well, what is it? You might be asking if you're not a Jesus follower. Okay, fine. I get that Jesus is who he says he is and all this kind of stuff. But why do we have to get in? Where we get right back into all these rules, uh, so like it's a religion, like you can't have sex out of marriage, and you know all these things we argue about gay marriage and blah 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 blah. Yeah, and he says, "Look, we are the instruments of God on earth. Therefore, the cleaner we are, the better. The less clean, the more our view of God gets distorted, and others' view of God gets distorted." He goes so far, and he gets he gets judgy. For a modern, for a modern audience, he gets pretty judgy. He says, "You know, this is why horrible nations have horrible religions because they're not good people. Um, they see God through a dirty lens." Yeah, and he, then he goes on to say, and this is where I think, this is where you and I, I think have gotten on the church the most, and uh, the church has um, gotten worse. I would say part of that's just because as the faith stops being this universal cultural thing which is really what it's been not really a universal religion throughout the west but a universal cultural thing as that's died out we've started clinging into our little cloisters and he makes it clear that is not what we're supposed to be doing we're not supposed to be just this little uh group of believers 
who just all kind of huddle together and remove ourselves from the world so we can not have to be tainted by the icky world. Yeah. But if that's the case, that's why we have to be in what we would call church or community of believers so that at least on some kind of regular basis we're engaging, we're leaning on, we're feeding off of other believers as we're engaged in the world. And then he ends with Christianity is, I think he talks about this quite a bit through this entire book, but he reiterates Christianity is a fact. It is not at all a simple religion. In fact, it's a very complicated one, and that's what separates it. He says it's that that that's what separates it from other in, other invented languages. I don't know if you're a Muslim, if after two thousand years of, or fifteen hundred years or however long of Islam, it's any less complicated. But I get his point. Yeah, I think it was just they. The reason why he says this is that if there are questions that don't have an answer that you like, um, or you're sitting there and, or not that you don't like, but if there are questions that you're an- that you're asking, and there's not a good answer for them, or there isn't an answer for them, that's not a reason to leave the faith. I think he's also talking about who God is and what God is, in uh, versus rules. And right. the other religions get complicated on the rules, but the other religions are very simple as to this is God and this is who he is. And there's no like, he's there's a son and he died. And it's just like, nope, here's Allah. Here's Buddha. And you either believe or you don't. Right. And the hard part with God is, and what's hard about this is that, again, what we are pursuing here is a relationship um, where you need to choose to be in the relationship. You don't get to know any more about your spouse unless you actively go out there and pursue and learn more about them. And so you don't want a one-dimensional spouse where you're just like, this is it, and that's all I know. So you should be going out and trying to learn new things. Uh, and again, it should be complicated, or that's the argument that he's making. And yeah, it, it's very similar where it's not... a. It's not about rules. It's about this relationship that you're building with God. Um, and you need to ask those questions. And that's why it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. And know that if the question isn't answered, what I was talking about before, if the question isn't answered or you can't find the answer for it, that doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't make it incorrect. Even if science is sitting there claiming that they have the answer or whatever, it doesn't make your faith shatter into pieces just because you sit there and ask that question. And you're like, well, what is the answer to this? It doesn't make that wrong. It's a complicated faith with lots of different answers, lots of different possibilities, and a lot of unclarity, honestly. And so you have to struggle with that, wrestle with that, and work with that and understand, again, what we should be focused on. And that's what he's going to be talking about. Okay, so we're, we'll, before we get into the next chapter, I'm going to side note. Have you ever watched the movie Contact? Oh, you should watch that. <laughs> I, I rewatched it the other night. Is there a book on it? Actually, I think it's based on a Carl Sagan book. We'll look it up right now. You, you keep going. Uh, uh, it stars Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, a couple other cast of characters you recognize. Um, it's I know it's dedicated to Carl Sagan. I'm... 99% sure it's based on a book or a short story based on, uh, from Carl Sagan. Basically, the whole movie is this 
battle between uh, religious faith, faith in God, and faith in science. And I would encourage people to watch it when it came out. Christians, of course, because Christians were uber sensitive to everything that they seemed deemed as some criticism of Christianity, did not like the movie at the time. But I think it actually does a very good job of showing that both faith in God and faith in what a lot of science says, current science particularly, is faith-based as well. Um, and that the I won't spoil the movie, but anyway, well, I guess I could. Aliens send this, send a message to Earth. Earth the message contains uh, blueprints to build this vehicle that appears to be to send someone into space. Uh, Jodie Foster, who's the scientist who gets the message, hops into the is chosen to go into the space capsule. Gets in the space capsule, launches, spends like 18 hours in this thing, and is basically told by these aliens that, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of us throughout the universe, and you'll get to know us over time, and yada, yada, yada. Sure. When her trip ends, everyone on Earth who saw her, basically... Her vehicle launches the way it launches and fails, and that's all they see. Yeah. And she is comes out like a crazy person saying, no, this is what happened. I saw, I interacted with an alien. I went through all these wormholes to get there. They talked to me. The one that talked to me looked my, like my father, so I would feel comfortable. And everyone just thinks she's crazy except this pro, protagonist character played by Matthew McConaughey is this. Uh, some kind of Catholic priest who's the only one who believes her because he lives in that same world of, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You've spent, but at this point, they've been friends dating for 10, 15 years. And like, this is the same skeptic skepticism you've given me because I had this religious moment and you said, well, maybe that's just like chemistry giving you the warm fuzzies. And I told you, no, I had an experience with God and you're saying you had this experience and I'm the one who believes you. So I think it's a very fair movie as to kind of how where modern science has gotten to where a lot of it's just purely theoretical and it's being preached as gospel by some bad scientists. I think a lot of them who are in the lab, not out there publicly, aren't doing that. But the ones who are publicly pushing it are pushing it as, well, we know this. And a lot of it's theoretical anyway. Right. No, I think... I think that ultimately when it comes down to it is is God and this whole idea is something totally okay to sit there and say I don't know everything but this is what I'm in on um, and that it's going to grow and it's going to develop and I'm going to do what I can but don't just let science sit there and dictate right. uh, or dissuade you um, from your faith so easily because you feel like well it's irrefutable or whatever. Again, I'm not going to sit there and talk about... I, I do believe that science evolves. I'm also the type that believes that science and God go hand in hand together. I still think that God adheres to the laws of physics and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things that go on with that. And sometimes he does break the laws of physics, just so we're clear. Um, <laughs> I do believe in that, right? I, like have that. Two, I have two rules. Science is not to prove the existence of God, nor should science be out to prove 
the lack of existence. God should be out of the equation for science. Yeah, 100%. That's not what it's about. Because uh, I don't think there's ever going to be any situation where either side is honestly can honestly say science has proven that question one way or another. So it should be outside of the conversation, period. Don't get me wrong. Well, no, actually, I don't even think so. I think that philosophy often leads to those types of questions that people have. It's like, sure. how did we get here? No, science should be sitting there continually trying to figure out what are the laws of the universe. And believe it or not, that is what science does. Um, they're sitting there and they're saying, okay, what are the laws? How does right. this work? How, what, are, what are the the elements, the play toys that this universe exists on? How, do, how does all of this work? Um, and you look through science to find that. And those are the, believe it or not, those are the actual rules of the world or of the the universe right like that is the rules of existence and so that doesn't explain our again going back to what lewis talked about in book one that again it doesn't explain our our desire or our understanding of good and wrong and understanding those types of things again that's why when we look at psychologists and what they're studying with us and those types of things why or where does this stuff come from sociologists all that kind of stuff so tim's got to use the restroom and then we'll move on to book three one just to be clear though I'm not saying that one has to be a Christian, can't be a Christian or can't be an atheist as a scientist. I don't care what your personal beliefs are. Uh, I just don't think whatever you're pursuing should be trying to prove one your personal belief one way or the other. So right. uh, the reason why I bring this up is because the next chapter is called Time and Time and Beyond Time. And it's a bit of a mind-bending chapter where... Mind-bending. Yeah, uh, Colton wrote in his notes, Time and Beyond Time in parentheses, mindfuck chapter. <laughs> it is where Lewis does his best to... Yeah, okay. Also, he starts this whole chapter off. Tim's like beating around the bush. I don't know why the hell he started beating around the bush. He starts the whole chapter off with saying, hey, listen, if this like if this kind of stuff scares you, get, just skip this chapter. Like, just skip it. <laughs> he's like, I know that we talk about like when you're reading books, like you shouldn't skip them. But he's like, no, skip this. Like, I'm going to tell you a theory... And, uh, and here's what he says. It's on page 140. He said, this idea has helped me a good deal. If it does not help you, leave it alone. It is a Christian idea in the sense that great and wise Christians have held it, and there is nothing in contrary to Christianity, but it is not in the Bible or any of the creeds. You can be perfectly good Christian without accepting it or indeed without thinking of the matter at all. And believe it or not, that applies to a lot of biblical traditions yes. that are out there. But for this one in particular, it's Lewis is explaining how we can possibly acknowledge the idea of God 
existing being this omnipresent when we talk about omnipresent it doesn't mean that he's everywhere at once it doesn't mean like he's santa claus like all in one night he answers all these prayers types of things nope what he's talking about is how is he in every single moment throughout all of history and at the same time every single one in the future does he control the future those types of things and again basically what it gets to the point and i don't even know how much time we want to spend on this because again it's a very tough thing and it will fuck your mind over is that he says that again because we think of things linear because we live in a world where again we say that time is is a made-up construct but at the same time our life progresses forward through time God's does not god lives outside of that aspect and constantly lives within every single moment he has no past he has no future so to speak he only has present but yet has all knowledge of present or past and future he does not right that this is the hard fucking part right like this is the let me you finish well and so i'm gonna read all my mind-bending notes for just everybody to and again, what I like, what I like that he said that is, and it's so hard because right when you think of a timeline, okay, right, we know that the timeline goes on infinitely in each direction, okay, so to speak, right? There's infinitely in the past, infinitely in the future. Believe not that uh, God is necessarily in the timeline. You need to believe that he is the blank page that surrounds the timeline. And just understanding that he is in every single moment. Uh present and again not past no future um and again i think just uh, to reiterate you can be a perfectly good christian without having to wrap your mind around this whole concept it, it this probably saves you a lot of headaches but for him like he said this has brought me peace because again he wants to understand this and again it's not a simple faith where you need to understand this um or have to go on to you know rest grapple with this kind of stuff so what what do you got for us Tim? okay so he he starts out by saying why why am i bringing this up at all <laughs> and he uses he says you know how is it can god answer the prayers of millions of people all at once that just seems crazy even for an omnipotent omnipresent present god so i'm going to hit the bullet points god is outside of time he is not trapped in a moment-by-moment moment existence. God can spend an if infinite amount of attention on any one person or any moment in time. Oh, I have that too. My bad. Keep going. Uh, let's see. And when he says like an infinite amount of moments in time, and that's why I have this written down, I was like, why did I put this? This is my favorite. What? God's existence on earth was not just no 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 my no no my favorite is down uh well he says he says god's existence on earth was not just one period out of his entire existence we tend to think that jesus life on earth is a slice of god's time um but it god there is no period jesus on earth wasn't just a period it's just it's it's just part of the whole time like jesus has always been a man we cannot think of God as before, during, after anything, including the incarnation. Where's my, my favorite? Oh, here it is. <laughs> God has no history and no future, only an infinite present. Right. No, and okay, so here's, 
and this is why I think that this analogy is really good to help you wrestle with it. Again, this isn't something that's, um, again, all that stuff is really tough. And what we talked about where I said, again, he has no past or no, no future. He is always present. The best way that we can get even close to this. And I mean, like you can use it for movies, but I prefer to use it for books. Everything that happens in a book is technically there at all times, correct? So, for example, if we were re reading To Kill a Mockingbird, every part of that book is there at all times, correct? Like in the same sense right. of um, it's just when we read it, that's that moment. But when we finish reading, when we finish that part, when we sit there and say, you know, uh, when uh, we sit there and we reflect, on uh, the moment when uh, the scout gets told to stand up, her father is leaving, right? Uh, that moment, right? Like we sit there and we reflect on that. And I say that because that's a really big moment for anybody that's there where all of uh, the people in the balcony, all of uh, what the book would call the colored people in the balcony all stand. Oh, that's the and best they part ask, of the book. And they ask scout to stand up for her father. And again, we sit there and we reflect on that. In the same way, it's very similar that that is how that works in our lives is that God is present in that moment. But yet, if it were actually happening, right, like that, if Scout was an actual person, that would all happen within a matter of seconds or whatever. But nobody would stop the book and like close and reflect on that. And her moment pauses and she looks on herself and that kind of stuff that doesn't exist. Um, but that is how God l can live in every moment and does live in every moment is that idea of he sits there and continuously reflects. And again, understanding now, Lewis even claims that like, listen, this isn't a Loctite analogy, right? Okay? Like this isn't, this doesn't work for everything, but he's like, but this is how you can begin to grasp it. And again, know that every single moment in To Kill a Mockingbird when she goes and has lunch with the lady when she goes to school, all of those things happen. And you could read them at any point. You know that, right? Like any person, those are all present moments. You, But you choose to read it in that order, right? But ultimately, those on every single page, those are written there at every single time that you pick up that book. It's not like you had to follow that chronological order. Because, and even if you did follow that chronological order, the stuff in the past is still standing there, right? The entire time. Again, not Loctite and not easy to grasp your brain around. But know that technically every page of To Kill a Mockingbird exists at the same time as any other event in the story. Even though it follows this timeline, still technically they all exist at the same time because they're still pages within the book. This is like weird, try to grasp it. Like, and again, in a movie, just because you move past it doesn't mean that right. the scene doesn't exist, right? Like, um, and it doesn't mean that it, you can't go back to it at any point. You could at any point in if we were watching the Shawshank Redemption, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, you can skip to whatever point in there that you want to be, and that becomes the present moment where you want to sit there and reflect the on it. Like yeah, <laughs> and so for him, not Inception, uh, Interstellar. Interstellar. There we go. But now the hard part of God is understanding that He is present in all of those. He is on every single. Every single page, every single word 
at all times, and that is where he resides. Right. He has the knowledge of all past, the knowledge of all future, because he exists in it, but yet exists within the presence, the present. Impossible to understand. Well, okay, so you understand that, and you're like, okay, no, so I how think, does that work? I think work? that's a really good analogy, and so he, I, I'm going to further that, because he, the, the, he ends this whole time discussion by, at the end, dealing with foreknowledge and uh, determinacy and, you know, dictating what people do. And he says, no, no, no. God knows, God knows what your life is going to be. He knows how everything's going to play out. But that doesn't mean he steps in. No, he doesn't fuck with it. And it doesn't mean also that he's not... When you make a bad decision, even though he knows where your life's going to end, good or bad, that he's not excited or torn up about it. And you say, well, how's that the case? So I'm going to take your analogy, but use a TV show. Take any TV show. What are your favorite shows? For me, I love The Wire. I love Succession. I know how those shows are going to end. Why do I rewatch them? I'm not rewatching them because I, I want to see how the show ends. It's because the more I watch them, I want to examine each scene, knowing how the show ends, to get more in-depth, particularly if it's a really good show like Succession, where every time you seem to watch it, these actors are doing little things that you don't notice the first two or three times you watch them. And again, terrible analogy, but you you know what's going to happen at the end of the episode or at the end of the season, but you are to- you seeing this little thing of what the guy does that you've missed before gets you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, that's in there. That's like heartbreaking. And I think that's, you know, that's the way God is. He knows... He knows what you're going to do. He knows how things are going to end. But it still doesn't change the fact that in the moment, he's still, uh, because he loves loves us, is uh, elated, sad, whatever. Well, and I think, uh, and for anybody that's listening to this and hearing this, and you're like, well, that's kind of sick and morbid, right? Um, this whole idea that our lives are basically a TV show um, for God. And again, this is something that you may have to struggle with. Because for some of you guys, life isn't, easy it sucks ass yeah and and that's something that you're gonna have to wrestle with is and because uh, tim and i talked about this a couple of weeks ago where we asked what is the meaning of life not what is our purpose in life what is the meaning of life and if you are a christian god put us on this earth to have a relationship with him it's not your choice it's really I mean, at the end of the day, uh, God even says it himself. He says he's a jealous God. Yeah. He's selfish in some respects. And that we are here to, he has a vision and a mission for this earth and what he wants to see accomplished. And so therefore, that is something that we are called to do. And that's something that you're going to have to wrestle with, that our life has a meaning and you may not like it. And so, yeah, if he's sitting there and he's having... He's having popcorn on the couch while he watches your life unfold. Is that a problem for you? I don't know. It's a good question for people to ask themselves. And that's time and beyond time. Yeah, and it doesn't get any easier in the next chapter. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Show voiceovers courtesy of Eleven Labs. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Post your comments, questions, criticisms, or an invitation to Hades on Twitter at the Go to Hell Pod and Instagram at Go to Hell Pod. 
Email us at Tim at GoToHellPodcast.com or Colton at GoToHellPodcast.com. If you think mere Christianity is boring, you can go to hell. <laughs>